Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I am Subi, alongside me, Taylor Dammel. We are brought to you by Belly Up Media. Go download, subscribe, rate, and review us on whichever device it is that you use. Your college hooper of the day, Taylor, it's not a random obscure person. It's a current player, and a very, very good current player and a very notable name. It's Caleb Love. It's Valentine's Day. As we're recording, I had to go with our guy, our probable Pac-12 player of the year, which by the way, Taylor, I don't know if you heard this real quick. I'll bring you in. The, the game against Colorado, I love Dave Pash. I think he's great. But he was referencing KJ Lewis, not KJ Lewis, uh, KJ Simpson as probable Pac-12 player of the year. I was like, look across to the other bench. When is K- I love KJ Simpson too, but no, Caleb Love is the front runner. Is he not? Am I missing something? I mean, even if even if KJ was so far and ahead of anyone else in the league, they're not even a tournament team right now. Like today, they're not a tournament team. So I don't know how you wouldn't give it to the best player on the best team who at this point is projected to be a one seed. And I'm not talking about like the best player who's like, oh, well, he's ha- he's like 14, four and two, you know, but he's the best player on the team. Like, no, Caleb Love's averaging like 20 points a game. You know, I mean, he straight up has, I think he's got the most 30 point games of any player in the Pac-12 this year. So it's like, uh, no, man, this is, <laughs> we're not going to give it to a dude who's finishing like 500 in an awful conference. We're probably going to give it to the best player on the best team who just happens to potentially actually be the best player in the conference as well. Outside of that little commentary, I love Dave Pash, and that game was great, but that was a little little blip. But Caleb Love, of course, like I said, Valentine's Day, we got to go with the theme. He is your college hooper of the day. Check out the website at theaterandcollegehoops.com and make sure to follow me at CBB Theater to find out where the feat is. You should also follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel. Let's open the curtains. mentioned it is valentine's day we did a little bit of valentine's day chatter last week it's also a big day for the state of arizona is it not it is it is the state of arizona's 112th birthday today so we're celebrating that here locally i guess Uh, we're celebrating so it's it's arizona beer week too which is a good combination 
it's a good way to celebrate. Do they still have on the state signs, like the centennial birthday? No, they actually just did a whole bunch of new ones. Okay. Thank God. Because when I went back for my wedding and I don't know the logistics and how long it takes to take those down. I'm sure it's not of huge urgency. I get that, but they kept having the centennial up for what, what would it have been? 2010, 12, 12, 2012 yeah. math. Jeez, we are in 2024, aren't we? Yeah. But okay, no, I just wanted to. Complain. It's not a math problem. It's just forgetting that we're this far along into into the 2020s. Let's call it. So that's true. Um, yeah, no, they just did a bunch of whole new signage this last year, or so. Um, although I say the last year, it probably was like five years ago. Now, since we're on the since we're on the path of not remembering where we're at in time. So, um, no, so yeah, great state of Arizona. Things have changed quite a bit uh, in those 112 years, as you would imagine. Um, Arizona basketball still good though. 112 years later. So I, I wonder what their record was in 1912. I'll look that up. That'd be something. Uh, you mentioned in the intro about tournament teams uh, in Colorado, if they're a tournament team or not. This is now, Taylor, the time where I think we can really identify and have 10 toes deep into what we think a team's identity is and how we forecast them moving forward. Uh, we've had enough season, I think, at this point. We're going to get to some teams in the top 25 and also teams that are knocking on the top 25, but we have to start with the news of the day in college basketball. Chris Holtman is out at Ohio State approaching seven years, which is actually kind of crazy when you think about it. You talk about the the two, the 2020s and how we're moving right along. Chris Holtman, it, it's kind of crazy to think that he's been in Columbus for this long, but he is no longer there. And he will be looking for a new job if he so desires. But Taylor, initial thoughts for me before I kick it to you is that it was time. The last couple of seasons have been really bad in Columbus, uh, especially with their expectations. Now you can say that they are a football school, which they very clearly are, but they also have a decent history when it comes to basketball. I would say a top 13, 14 program in the history of college basketball. And even in recent memory, they've been to final fours. They've been to elite eights. They've produced some good talent, but the well has run dry in Columbus without a doubt. And I think it's so interesting. Folks are going to say that the big 10 schedule wore them down and their last, last loss was against Wisconsin. So they'll make a joke with Rostein, how he always calls Greg guard, the silent assassin. Uh, but really this all went completely downhill in uh, on that fateful day in March really, when they were the number two seed and Max Azemus and Oral Roberts and Paul Mills played them and defeated them in shocking, shocking fashion because that Buckeyes team was really good. But ever since then, it seems as if Chris Holtman and the Buckeyes program has been completely broken. This was kind of expected in college basketball circles. What I think is unexpected is the timing of it all. Your thoughts on Holtman no longer at the helm. I think it how I feel about Holtman is similar to how I feel about Ohio state basketball in general. You reference them as one of the top 10 or 12 programs in the history of college basketball, which is true. Problem is, is much of that storied history is pre what we would consider the modern era of college basketball, which is, I believe is 1981 and on, or some people uh, take it to the three point line, uh, which is 1988, 89, 88, 89, somewhere in there. Um, 
they haven't been outside of, you know, the Mike Conley, Greg Oden years where they did go to a final four and were, you know, one of the best teams in the country. They haven't exactly lit the world on fire. Even with Thad Mata was there. I mean, Thad Mata, uh, you know, gets a lot of credit um, and is kind of a, I don't want to say he's a cult icon at Ohio State. But it's weird that Ohio State just isn't very good at basketball. They're good. They're not very good. They, them in Texas, them, Texas and USC are the three basketball teams that I constantly, and I think we've harped on this for however long we've been doing this podcast, however long we had a radio show before that, and however long we've known each other, really, we've kind of continued to have the same discussion about Ohio State and Texas and USC. It's like those three schools arguably have the most resources of any schools in the country, right? And they're in pretty good recruiting areas or at least close. And they never can be consistently good at basketball. Like Holtman, Holtman made the tournament four times, I think. And, but as a whole, Ohio state has only made the tournament 31 total times, which puts them outside of like the top 25, I believe in terms of tournament appearances. So it's really interesting that no matter who they have there, they kind of continues to follow the same path. And if you look at the, the list of coaches, We've brought up schools that have sneaky good coaching history, like a Long Beach State that has like five Hall of Fame coaches. Ohio State doesn't really have a deep coaching history either in terms of, you know, maybe basketball people would recognize their names. But we're certainly not the, the general public, certainly not fawning over guys like Fred Taylor. Or Jim O'Brien, Jim O'Brien. right. Yeah. I mean, Gary Williams was there for a two years. But, you know, tell me what Randy Ayers was under 500. Eldon Miller was just above 500. They don't really have a ton of coaches who are even over 500 in their time there. Uh, so it's really interesting school um, to, to follow. Holtman, you know, I guess it was time in the sense that at some point, Ohio State's got to do something. But I'm just not sure what they're supposed to do at this point because they just seemingly can't make that hire that puts them over the top or matches what their expectations are for their school. So um, I guess, I don't know. Yeah. It's not unexpected. If, if you've been paying attention to college basketball, they certainly, like you said, are above 500 right now. Are they yeah, by yeah, what? Like 14, one or two games, 14 and 11, I think. And so okay. I, you That's know, not that great in college basketball. No, no, no. Way. But you know, when, how you determine and when you determine to fire a coach in college is really interesting. Um, especially with NIL, transfer portal, things of that nature. I bet in years past, five years ago, they wait till the end of the year to hire a new coach. But now with all the moving pieces that there are in college basketball, uh, it's maybe a little better to get out ahead of the game a little bit. Uh, Diebler, which how crazy is it that John Diebler is their interim coach, by the way, that that makes what, me right now. No, Diebler is on staff at Butler. Is he? Well, that was interesting yeah. because – him and wow, so, you want to bring those back? I thought you were saying throw John Diebler oh, in as Jake the next head coach. Excuse me, Jake, Jake Diebler. Diebler. Oh, well, Excuse okay, me. so you weren't wrong. My bad, my bad. Yeah, sorry. I just saw Diebler and went straight to that. So, um, so excuse me, A. Diebler is their interim coach. But uh, overall, uh, long story short here, it was it was probably time that Holtman's era was over, whether it be mid-year or now. And I think just with the current landscape of college basketball, it was probably a little more advantageous to get out ahead of it so you can start to figure out who's even going to be on the team next year. And then uh, you can really start dialing in um, your coach before the end of the year. So we know that Musselman is uh, 
we've already reported here rumors that he's been angling for a new job. So maybe this would be a good situation for him to try and angle for. The timing on the surface is is kind of peculiar, but you're right. With all the moving parts in college basketball, NIL transfers, it's huge to get ahead of it. And you also got to look at their rival in Michigan. They probably want to get their man before Michigan does, because I don't know what the future holds for Juwan Howard. And I'm actually going to bring him up a little later. But in Ward Manuel, the AD for Michigan, I think basically said, I'm not making any decisions, dot, 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 at this time. And who's to say that Ward Manuel can get Juwan Howard out of there before Juwan Howard gets himself out of there? Juwan Howard has a plethora of options. He can go to the NBA. He's got a lot of connections there. He's he's going to be just fine. Juwan Howard's going to be fine. And, and if he says to himself, I don't want to deal with this anymore, then he can go. So Ohio State, I feel like part of it is they're monitoring what's going on in Ann Arbor. And they're saying, I don't want to let them get a guy that me want, we might want. And so it's actually kind of funny comparing it to Michigan. Like Harbaugh, I, I forget when Harbaugh came to Michigan, but it might have been a few years prior, like four years prior to to Chris Holtman going to Ohio State. And then, of course, Juwan Howard at Michigan and then Ryan Day at Ohio State. So you look at that quartet right there, right? There was a time when people were saying, we want to fire Harbaugh because he just can't beat Ohio State. And then he ends up winning a national title. Now people want (laughs) – the discussion is we need to fire Ryan Day because he now has lost, what, three straight to Michigan and they can't get over the hump and win a national title. Uh, He's still there, right? Harbaugh obviously took off to to the Chargers. He hasn't been fired. and now Jawan, after a Sweet 16 appearance, I think they also went to the Elite Eight against UCLA. He's still technically there, but the writing's kind of on the wall because they only have eight wins. The first person out of that quartet to actually be fired was Chris Holtman. And I don't know if we saw this coming a couple of years back. I don't know if this was something that was on any of our, our bingo cards because it has been such a precipitous fall. At a place like Ohio State, you don't need to be world beaters. Uh, They're not expecting a final four every single year, but you can't be this abysmal. And so it brings me to my next point, Taylor, Uh, potential replacements. I tweeted this out this morning, and this was kind of a hodgepodge of what I think is realistic and also just kind of fantasy land. And some of the names that popped up to me in no particular order, first of all, Will Wade, I want him back in high major hoops. And he's done a tremendous job with McNeese State. And I want to see a villain back on the sideline in high major hoops. Go get Will Wade. It's a win-win-win for all of us, right? Win for the program, win for Will, uh, and also win for the fans. Danny Sprinkle. How many how many years have I been talking about Danny Sprinkle, man? And he deserves a, a high shot. And I'm I'm dead serious when I tell Buckeyes fans to do their research on Sprinkle and try and go get him because it may not be the sexiest because you probably don't know who he is, but he's going to win some games. Josh Schertz at Indiana State. I talked about him and the great job he's doing. Obviously, they lost to Illinois State, which wasn't great the last couple uh, last last couple nights. But Josh Schertz would be a nice get. Chris Beard, if you want a big name, try and go get Chris Beard, who's an immediate impact guy. He can win anywhere he wants. Texas Tech. He had Texas humming before uh, the 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 incident that forced him to be removed, or he removed himself, whatever it was. Uh, and now Ole Miss, they're kind of fading, but they're a bubble team, which is a lot more than people expected. Mick Cronin, he knows the area. We talked about Cronin. And actually, UCLA, funny enough, is turning things around, and they still have an outside shot at the dance, but they haven't been that good. Cronin knows the area. Um, 
And he let out a Freudian slip by basically saying UCLA's NIL funds are the Reds. So maybe he just wants to go back to Ohio. I don't know. Eric Musselman, you already mentioned. Maybe our old friend, Sean. Those are just some names that come to my mind. Any any out of that list that you like? Any names that uh, I didn't mention that you like? So let me go back just one second here. And that's, you know, Chris Holton's best year at Ohio State was his first year there. That's That was his most wins. It was 25 wins. Never had more than 21 wins in any other season at Ohio State. So um, COVID, maybe they could have. But even so, that would have been maybe 22 wins. So not like a ton here, right? So I think that's part of it. You know, part of the firing here is like the only season you've been good. It's almost like a... Um, um, why can't I think of UConn's old coach who Kevin won it the Ollie. first Kevin Ollie. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, the first year they were dope. And then things fell off a cliff from there. They didn't fall off a cliff at Ohio state. They just never went up the, they never went up the hill either. They kind of flatland there. So, um, Sean Miller makes a lot of sense here to me. And I know that I've, I'm a Sean guy, right? But it really does make a lot of sense given everything that we know about Sean Miller, right? We know that he's a good coach. We know that he is very good. I think Sean's best trait is doing more with less. Um, I think at Arizona often he had more but wasn't used to understanding how to coach more to make them better than coaching less, right? And Ohio State is like the perfect spot for something like that because they're going to have the funding and everything that they want to do but they're not world beaters and they're, you know, I think that how they recruit is perfect for someone like, or how they could recruit is perfect for someone like Sean Miller, where he can now have his experience of having been in Xavier twice. And then, you know, a top seven or eight school in Arizona, and then kind of meld that all together into a school that certainly has the opportunity to be as good as any of the blue bloods. They aren't a blue blood, but on a year by year basis, they certainly could be as good as any blue, but blue blood. I think that's the most intriguing name to me because I think everything just fits. So ideally, I think it would be more up to Sean if he wants to live, leave his current situation in Xavier. Cause we know that he has serious love for Xavier. Um, you know, another one that's been, that has been discussed is like a Lamont Paris, uh, mm-hmm. South Carolina there. You got dusty may at FAU as well. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be, inter- you know, Ohio state schools like Ohio state often, fall into the um maybe retread not ohio state but coaches you know teams that are looking for instant success that just haven't had it often look for that retread coach like a like sean miller you could probably consider him to be a retread rather than or even like a um chris mack i don't know i wouldn't hire him either but you know a I think someone like a lamont paris or dusty may if they're willing to give these guys a couple years to build what they want that would be worthwhile, but I'm not sure Ohio state fans and alumni and people have enough patience. Like you said, they want to fire Ryan day. Who's lost four total <laughs> games, like in five years, right? Like, yeah. or what? I know that's not the actual stat actually could be the actual stat, but I, I know that's not the actual stat. So um, I would just be a little leery, even though I think Sean Miller would be a great person to look into here. I'd be a little leery of hiring um, one of these retreads. And I think that if, if I could give any Ohio state fan, uh, some, some, uh, some advice it would be, you're going to need an abundance of patience if you really want this to be successful. So, um, 
I think that I would either go if I was going for someone that was currently available or currently coaching at a high major school, let's call it, I'd go Sean Miller. If not, I would look that, yeah, like Dusty May, Lamont, Paris uh, type of direction there. I'm well, not sure I'm going like Musselman, who's like kind of out at Arkansas. He turns programs seems, around, though. But that does kind of seem like the definition of the retread guy is yeah. like, and same with Mick Cronin, you know. Yeah. Mick Cronin's got an inter- super weird, it's weird, I think is the best way to describe the situation at, at UCLA right now. And this might be the perfect out for him, but I'm not sure if that's the route I would go if I was Ohio State. That's why I think they really should hone in on Danny Sprinkle because he's not a yeah, re- right. He's super young. He's proven he can win and get to the NCAA tournament with mid majors. And I don't think, unless like a blue blood calls or a top five program calls Danny Sprinkle, he's going to leave or want to leave. Uh, Lamont Paris does have Ohio ties. I find it interesting about Paris, though, who is probably the front runner for coach of the national coach of the year this year. He's done an amazing job, certainly. But that didn't happen overnight in Columbia. This has taken some time for the Gamecocks to get as good as they've been. And even this year, they were picked to finish dead last. So I wonder if this happened at this juncture last year. Lamont Paris wouldn't be on anyone's radar. It's kind of crazy what uh, three-fourths of a season can do for your stock. And I guess you got to strike while the iron's hot. I just don't know if I've seen enough from Lamont Paris. He, he did a great job at Chattanooga. Uh, he's doing a good job this year with South Carolina, but I think Ohio State might want to go with a potentially more proven commodity. And then I'm, I heard some people mentioning Greg McDermott's name. And that I don't, just, I don't get that at all. Baffles me, man. He's a legend in Omaha. That team is always competitive. They were on the cusp of a final four outside of funds and, and resources, money, whatever. I don't see it for Greg McDermott. And, and I, I'm not going to pretend to know, uh, say like, I know who Greg McDermott is as a person, but he does not seem like a guy who is, Oh, the grass is greener on the other side because of cash. This is a guy who saw his son come up through that same college and he's been there forever. He is a pillar of the community. He doesn't seem like a guy who would just jump to Ohio state where he's got to fight, not even fight. You're not fighting for attention at Ohio state because it's always going to be majority on the football program. Whereas Creighton, do they even have a football team? I don't no. know. Like I, I, the, the Greg McDermott stuff is super, super uh, confusing and, and odd to me. Yeah. I don't get the McDermott one at all either. I mean, he, right now he is making 2.3, I think a year million. He's just maybe outside of the top 25, but I'm guessing with his success and where he's gotten Creighton basketball too, if this dude wanted more money, I don't think it would be that hard to get it from Creighton, right? Call so Warren Buffett. Doesn't he like run that place? Or literally just anybody in yeah Omaha, right? So um, your points about him and why he fits at Creighton, and in my opinion, should fit at Creighton for the rest of his career is is perfect because I don't, I don't really think, you know, even if Ohio State in theory has more resources, I'm not sure they have more resources that are just specifically earmarked for basketball, right? Great and I, you, you said that in a, you said that in a way, well, right? That's a great a specification, right? And but that is like okay, so Ohio State, as a wide-reaching general sense, certainly has more resources, probably more resources than than like I brought up earlier than almost everyone other than like Texas and USC, right? But basketball specifically, I'm not sure they got any more resources than an Auburn or a Creighton or a 
you know, in a uh, Gonzaga, uh, any of those type of schools where these these schools that are um, since Auburn's a basketball school now, um, these schools that are so basketball centric and Auburn really has become ba- basketball centric. But I don't think that they have any more resources or care specifically. The care part of it, I think, is the key. Creighton, they're going to sell out 19,000 seats every single night. And even though Ohio State essentially plays in an NBA arena, even though there isn't an NBA team in Columbus, people are not, I don't know, they're, they'd rather go to a Columbus Blue Jackets game, I think, than an Ohio State basketball game. So um, if you're not even bigger than your NHL team in town, you're probably not one of the most, uh, let's see, resource-laden basketball programs in the country. So, yeah, everyone, I think, on the surface would be like, well, yeah, Ohio State, they got tons of money. But that doesn't necessarily mean it goes to basketball. Yeah, McDermott, it's very peculiar uh, hearing his name. Who knows? Maybe we'll be shocked. But if we want to get wacky and crazy, uh, if we want to get wacky and crazy, though, Taylor, let's just swap Thad Mata for exactly where I was going on the next. Yeah, just a couple of homecomings, either that or just bring back, like I said, Odin and Diebler. Why not? What's Aaron Kraft doing right now? He's like a neurosurgeon, man. He doesn't want to coach. Of course he is. What a loser. What a nerd. Um, poor man's TJ McConnell. Thad uh, Mata. So I haven't looked at a single report about Thad Mata. So I know ha- I have no thought on this. But why? What would be the reason to not try and bring him back? Just because of his age? Well, he's not even. He just looks old, man. Well, I know, but he's he not just, even old. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like he's so, he, he, people think Thad Mata is this. 75 year old guy he's like in his 50s or 60s maybe he's like uh compare him next to pete carroll it's actually insane but i i don't know you already you you talk about retread man that's the, the you cannot get more retread than thad mata and that's what they're doing at xavier right now so thad mata is uh the same age as, as one year older than sean miller which is absolutely that's hilarious <laughs> 55 and 56 but he's he's not a retread in that he got fired you know, a retread, in my opinion, yeah. is someone who gets fired or okay. unceremoniously leaves, right? Um, because of his performance. Thad Mata didn't leave because of his, his performance. It was that his body wasn't performing. And that's not to be funny, but that's lit. I mean, that's what that's what was happening, right? So it's not like if Thad Mata wasn't coaching, this would be completely off the table, right? Mm-hmm. Um but he is, he's coaching just kind of down the street a little bit in, but at Butler. So, and again, he's not, he didn't go like the Patino route to like an Iona and then to a St. John's and whatever. Like this guy's coaching a high major good basketball team. That's potentially going to make the tournament this year. So it's not like he's running from the grind portion of the program, right? Where he doesn't want to recruit. He doesn't want to do this every day. Like he's doing that right now. So I know it's not going to happen. Right. But it, it is an interesting situation uh, here. And because we're talking about retreads and Sean Miller, that's where we're at with Sean Miller, Sean Miller, Xavier, Arizona, Xavier. So, I mean, I, it's not like it hasn't been done with before and it's not like it hasn't been done recently. It's not like it hasn't been done in the same state. So I, I would maybe think about that. I I don't, I don't know because he, like like I said, I think people were going to poo poo this thought thinking that Thad Mata is like 98 years old. This dude's just same age as all these other coaches essentially we're talking about. Um, And if you're going to, if you're going to consider Sean Miller, why wouldn't you consider Thad Mata? Just, you know, I, 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 what, right. I mean, I, I, they have, they have a lot of options. 
Yeah, right. I'm telling and, you, they have a ton of options in Columbus, and I actually think they can get their guy. And we talk about the lack of focus, relatively speaking, to football, but this is a desirable job. I'm not saying it's a top yeah. five, mm-hmm. top top ten top 10. I, I don't know if I'd say it's a top 10 job, but it's a very desirable job. Top 20. Top 20. Top 20. Awesome NIL. Like they have awesome resources. They have support. Um, so I, this is, this is a very desirable job for someone. And I think they, they need to, they need, to, it's going to be on the administration to make the right hire because it's not going to be as a result of like lack of applicants or lack of, of heads out there in my eyes. Well, look at, look at the three schools in the in that general area that are gonna that are big basketball schools that might be on the coaching hunt this year and maybe this is why holtman you know you, you already brought up michigan right but uh louisville is going to be on the hunt as well indiana might be indiana thank you yeah that's where i was going with that too so if you look at the four jobs let's call it that are in that area three big ten um and one acc in in louisville oh i'd probably i think ohio state program is in the best spot of any of those four currently indiana if you talk about ohio state having unrealistic expectations indiana has absurdly unrealistic expectations and they don't have any more although their money is mostly funneled to basketball um i don't think i think their expectations and just kind of where they sit currently isn't more advantageous than ohio state michigan is in the doldrums of despair right now in terms of where their basketball program is at Louisville has the Some most, the worst. What, well, they have the most resources for basketball specifically of any school in the country. Uh, and that's, that's true. I mean, the, they make more money on basketball pro- from a profitability standpoint than any other school in the country. Um, but they're so bad. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. they, that you would have to literally like get out your hammer and your shovel and, and start rebuilding the foundation. You've of got the, the house. Program. No, you have no, it's a teardown. Yeah. yeah. So um I think Ohio State, if if you look at the major schools that are in that region that are gonna be looking for new new coaches this year, I, I I think they're at the top. I know that they're not as good. They're the fourth best basketball program of those schools that we just listed, right? But yeah, not, I mean Michigan's had much more success right. just but over the last 10 years. Even though we talked about how their resources aren't basketball specific, Michigan's aren't either, right? And so um, I think that would be the best job to take. You have the lowest expectations and probably the best returning roster or potential returning roster of any of those schools. So um, I think I think that's why you get out ahead of it if, if you're them, because you know that you're competing with these very specific other basketball programs with very uh, legitimate resources all in the same area. Seemed calculated for sure. I love a good carousel, man. I love a good coaching carousel, and we got one here. Uh, in February, like I said, Chris Holtman, I still think is a pretty good coach. He's going to find, you know what, Chris Holtman, come over to DePaul, man. Why don't you rebuild that program? Come, come, come to Chicago. You'll still be in a major conference and uh, maybe give it one last shot. So one more thing before we roll on to the next topic here, and I don't know if this is accurate and maybe you can correct me on this. I feel like this last year and, and by last year, I mean like literally last month we saw the the craziest coaching carousel in football we've seen in recent times. Mm. And all of in that is no, no, no. In college football, like look at Alabama Saban leaving. Oh yes, yes, yes. Sorry. Sent like a crazy, you know, Harbaugh to, left. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Where we've seen these crazy moves of like, 
you know, obviously we dealt with it very specifically as in Arizona where one of our coaches got taken and then we had to do the same, you know, whatever. So I wonder, it'll be interesting to watch come late March, early April, if that same NIL transfer portal situation in terms of coaching carousels and how it affects everybody works the same as it does in football. There, I have no opinion on if it is or not. I'm just saying that it's going to be really interesting. To be, okay, we just saw this happen in football to kind of a crazier degree than we've ever seen in terms of like the timing of these things. There's no, it's always been, you got to make a decision today, but now it's like with coaching, you got to make a decision within the hour almost, you know? So I'll be interested to see how Ohio state maybe being the first domino to fall of what could be a very major uh, you know, coaching search that affects, like, especially if Cronin goes there, then UCLA, op- you know, I mean, there's, there's so much that could happen here um, in, in, in terms of how the coaching carousel is going to go. So I just wanted to bring that up because the football one was so interesting. It's college sports. We'll see if it similarly affects basketball in the same way. All right, T let's move on now to our identity lock segment. All right. Just catching folks up to speed February 14th for me specifically is when I have a good feel of what a team is, who they are, their identity really. Okay. So this is to say when everyone tries to bait you and tries to have these stupid discussions in November and December and January about, Oh, this team's done. Oh, this team's going to the final four. And then they lose two or three straight. We talked to Ali Farouk Vanesh. She was like, we lost to Wyoming and everyone says we're, we're done. We're terrible. And then they rattled off three or four straight. Oh, no, they're back. They're a potential Final Four team again, or they're a, d- they're a dangerous team to look out for. I really do hate having those conversations so early around Thanksgiving and Christmas and even like MLK Day. But, Taylor, when we hit February 14th, Valentine's Day, I do think we can now have these conversations, and I think this is when people need to start sticking their stakes in the ground for certain teams. And there's a lot of teams that I think have questions. There's certainly some teams that uh, do not have questions, like a UConn, a Purdue, a Houston. I think after this past weekend, Arizona. Um, Tennessee, I think a lot of people still really like, and I still really like Tennessee. But I'm talking about teams that have maybe floundered here the last couple of weeks or the last week even, and just have shown some serious weaknesses over the course of the year. And I'm going to start with Kansas. Just get uh, what I want to do. Taylor is just get a quick opinion on each of these teams. Cause we do have a lot to get through and I want to get to segments as well, but we'll start with Kansas here because I think a lot of folks think that they're very good. They obviously haven't had Kevin McCullough the last couple of weeks, but they're dreadful on the road, Taylor. And so I'm I'm still buying Kansas. I think they're they're still very good and I don't think that there's any reason to panic because they got absolutely blown out by a good Texas Tech team by the way without Kevin McCuller. And I don't think it's necessarily a huge reason to panic because they stink on the road because once you get to the NCAA tournament, you're it's going to be neutral floor number 1, but also it's Kansas. You're probably going to have your fans packing the gym. Uh so I'm not I'm not worried about Kansas. I haven't really changed or wavered on Kansas, but sitting here, you know, February 14th, uh, I'm still confident in their ability to do some damage. Although that's how I was last year. I think I took them to the elite eight, maybe final four, and they lost freaking Arkansas. What do you think about Kansas? I think that they are not great offensively and they can't rebound the ball. And I think that's a very bad combination when you get to March. They're really good at uh, efficiency 
in terms of, and, you know, they average, I think, the second most assists of any team in the country. And so maybe efficiency is not the way to put it. But, you know, they, they certainly can pass the ball well. Um, I'm, I have, I'm fearful of their ability, like you said, to play anywhere but at Allen Fieldhouse. And even their loss to Marquette was neutral floor. So we're not talking about just on the road specifically. We're talking about away. And Marquette's not a bad loss in yeah, a neutral Marquette's site. Marquette's a great to, team. I'm not trying to say that, right? But that is, that is a loss that they do have in a neutral site, right? So if in terms of like worry, what's our level of worry, let's call it, like making it past the first weekend in the tournament? I don't think I'm worried about that with Kansas. I would say that. Like Sweet- I'd be surprised if they lost. Sweet 16 is their ceiling is what I'm thinking. I just don't mm. think that they're good enough offensively and they can't rebound the ball well enough and they can't play away from home. Those three combinations, th- those three things. Um, and if you look at like their wins, uh, you know, I mean, all like you said, all their good wins are at home and all their losses have been to good teams on the road. And, and I think if you get them up against a good team in a neutral site in a Sweet 16 type game, because they're not going to be a one or two seed at this point. So we're not going to get that classic, oh, Kansas gets to play the conference tournament in Kansas, and then they get to play the first round of the tournament in Kansas. That's not going to happen this time around, um, and I think that's going to be a big deal for them. I don't think they're going to have quite the fan support. They're going to have a ton, don't get me wrong. They're going to have a ton, but they're not going to be It's not. They're not going to be these home games like we've seen playing the tournament. So I actually do have concern about Kansas. Simply, They have not impressed me in months. You know, mm-hmm. um, not even the Houston games. Houston game that that's all they that, need to do. Just play like that, and they're uh, they're champions. So just play their best basketball every game, and they're be fine. seventy yeah. plus percent or so, whatever it is. I, I will say I'm a little concerned about their depth, but uh, you know I'm not I, on the whole not necessarily uh, concerned okay. about the Jayhawks. Mm-hmm. Moving on. Now I know we're split on this, but you've been proven right the last couple games. That's Carolina. I'll let you take the floor on Carolina, and uh, doesn't seem like anything's changed. Well, it's not that I don't think Carolina is good. I think it's Carolina is not as good as the teams that they were being compared to because mm-hmm. just just days ago, they were being compared to Houston, to Arizona, to Marquette, to those teams. And my opinion was not that UNC sucked because they definitely don't suck, right? I mean, they're a, they're a two seed probably at, even at right now, even they're not playing very well. They're a two seed probably at worst at this point. My point was that I didn't think they were one seed worthy you know they started the year i think what were they they were ranked in the teens i think preseason am i wrong i I think so right yeah because duke was the only acc team i think that was in like the top top 10 says yeah right yeah so i and i think that's today that's kind of right they're probably still a little better than that but i'm not they're not the top they're not the top five for me i i think i think this last week teams like arizona very specifically arizona proved that they are a better team than UNC specifically because of the road games they won. And then of course, UNC losing at home to Georgia tech uh, or excuse me to Clemson and then losing on the road at Georgia tech. And then even at Syracuse, I mean, Syracuse two nights ago, Syracuse is not a good, they're not a great basketball team. And they really had a lot of opportunities. UNC did to kind of take that game over and they allowed 86 points to Syracuse, who's a top, not even a top 150 offensive basketball team. And so to me, there's just, I don't think there's one specific thing about North Carolina that I don't like. It's just that they, all their parts don't seem to work together at the times that they need to work together. So now that's a long way of saying that I'm actually not concerned about them. I just don't think they're like a national 
championship sure. contender. Yeah. I think that they are an elite eight, sweet 16, elite eight type of team. But if they play like a Tennessee again in the elite eight, if they play in Arizona, if they play a Purdue, any of those teams, I'm taking those other teams over North Carolina. Okay. That is fair. Uh, I think right now Carolina is just going through a little bit of a funk. No need to panic Tar Heel Nation. I think you're just fine. I think you're also experiencing a bit of a regression. They were playing some of the best defense I've seen like in years, it felt like, but that can't, that's not sustainable. That level of defense is just not sustainable. And we saw that against Syracuse. I think they gave up 20 plus points within the first 10 minutes or so on the road. So you're seeing a little bit of a funk, a little bit of a regression. Um, I'm not not concerned just yet about Carolina. Duke, uh, I've been saying this f- for the last month or so. I don't understand why everyone's just saying that. I got, I got, who was it? Was it Chris Mack? Chris Mack, who was saying they're soft and their fans are going crazy saying they're soft. And Jay Williams at halftime is saying, if you got to pee like a puppy, stay on the porch. Duke's doing just fine. Like Duke Carolina, and I'm always going to side with Carolina, but they're that meme where, uh, someone like comes around the office corner or the cube corner and it's Carolina and the lady's just like, Oh, aren't you sweet? And then Duke comes around saying the exact same thing. And it's like, hello, HR. Uh, I don't understand why Duke is getting slandered. So, so often as they have been Jared McCain has been amazing and he's a great rebounder and they control their own destiny, by the way, Taylor in the ACC. So Duke fans, I actually think you need to be a little bit more hyped about this team. Well, it's because their Georgia Tech loss <laughs> came came earlier in the season than North Carolina's, and so I think people just got a bad impression. And then who else did they lose to? Pitt, uh, but Pitt's, Pitt's coming yeah. on. You're right, right. Oh, they lost to Arkansas. I had Arkansas. That's okay, that's a bad loss. Right. That's, yeah. So, but at the time, I'm not no, sure. It wasn't. seemed like that bad of a loss. Um, I still like Duke just simply because I think Flip is better than all but what four players in the country and so i think that i think he's better than anybody on north carolina so at this point i would probably maybe if if i was a betting man i'd maybe take duke a little further than north carolina they're better offensively for sure than north carolina is at least from an efficiency standpoint um and i like the fact that you're right they got they got a little chip on their shoulder in the sense that they lost to north carolina already i have a feeling they're probably going to win uh the next one around i do too that's how this series goes and I think that I had some doubts about Shire preseason, right? And if this was going to be, you know, if he was going to be good, bad. I think he's been totally fine this year. I, th- I feel like our perception of Duke is just that they lost to like Arkansas and Georgia Tech or whoever it was, like back-to-back games early on. And so people kind of just tossed them by the wayside. Um, but, you know, to go along with their loss to Arizona. So they had three losses in by like mid-December. And they've only had two losses since, I believe. So. Um, I'm more bullish on Duke than I am North Carolina. I disagree with that. I still think Carolina is a better team, but I think Duke is getting a lot of unnecessary hate. Although I, when yeah, it comes to when it comes to hating Duke, is it really unnecessary? No, I don't know. Right. Did I'm, I just I'm, defend I'm, Duke? By the way, yeah. we both we both are man. That's how I think ridiculous. Uh, it's also been. I want to bring up something. Okay, as it relates to your, we're going to call it North Carolina bias. Okay, that's what I'm going to call it. Because I remember many a pool party back in Tucson that oh, this yeah. man, the host of this show, was wearing Carolina blue a lot of these days. And I never saw I, I I'm going back in the archives here because now I'm really finding where this deep seated North Carolina he keeps. Please it note down. it was an MJ jersey who everyone loves. <laughs> 
he keeps it down tied under, but this man does own a North Carolina jersey. So I just want to point that out there for anybody to look. Well, I'm well just so I didn't. I don't want be, to. Spark. Honestly, it could be in my garage in a box. Uh, to be honest with you, so you should know I got the Richard Jefferson forty-four yeah, okay. in blue. Perfect. As well. Perfect. <laughs> uh, South Carolina, Taylor. I think South Carolina plays very good defense. They don't struggle in the half court with their offense. I think they're very efficient there, and they pass. They pass the ball well. Their assist numbers are great. I'm a buyer of of South Carolina, and what that means is I think they can get to uh, around a 32 sweet 16, which you might say to yourself, well, they're ranked top 10 or top 15. They should be doing much more damage than that. But this has come out of completely nowhere. They were picked dead last. I could see them as a second weekend team for all of those different attributes. Are you buying Carolina, South Carolina, excuse me, at this juncture? I, I want to, but I don't think that I am. I think that at some point this team, they're playing extremely well. And like we talked about earlier, Lamont Paris is doing a wonderful job of coaching. You talked about their uh, defensive efficiency, all that. I think at some point there's going to be the, a there's going to be a regression back to and and we we just talked about North Carolina has gone through it this year, Duke has gone through it this year, Kansas has gone through it this year, Arizona did earlier in this year. So you can't tell me that teams like those five, five of seven, eight best teams in the history of college basketball can go through a regression and South Carolina isn't going to go through a regression at some point this year. So this isn't necessarily just South Carolina based. It's my pessimistic view on that. I think they're overachieving right now, which is great. And I'm rooting for them. I think at some point that regression is going to happen and it needs to happen in the next two weeks or the timing of this regression is going to be in the first or second week of March. And that's not going to be ideal for them. So I am rooting for South Carolina. I'm not buying them in the tournament just simply because at some point they need to have, or will have a bad week or two. And my fear is that it's coming here in about three weeks time. St. Mary's. I might have to take that stance with the Gales because everything they've showed me in the last two months, they haven't lost in 2024, which is insane. They're one of the very, very few teams, maybe three, that are undefeated in conference play. I think they have a top 15 defense, but that stretch at the beginning of the season for some reason is sticking with me. And I'm we're going to talk maybe Gonzaga if we get to him, but Gonzaga just beat Kentucky and they showed signs that they can go into Rupp and, and win. Now, Kentucky doesn't play defense whatsoever. St. Mary's does. But I'm just saying Gonzaga still has the wherewithal. Uh, and I'm not going to remove that crown from Gonzaga until I see it. Right? We talked about Patrick Mahomes and, and not putting him immediately in the AFC title game. Uh, I'm not going to uh, omit Gonzaga until they show me that they aren't going to win the WCC. So I'm not just 100% bought in yet on St. Mary's. I mean, if they, if they go into the tournament or the conference tournament without having lost a game, which is I suppose plausible in the WCC, then I might be looking like a dummy, but I think, I think those early season struggles for some reason, I can't shake it. So I'm not hundred percent bought in on St. Mary's despite what they've been doing this year. So we talked about the early season struggles, right? The early season struggles had losses to Utah, which looked like a bad loss maybe isn't as bad of a loss now. Boise State, it, eh. I Xavier, eh. San Diego State, uh, these aren't terrible losses to me. Now, obviously, they did lose to like a Missouri State and a Weaver State in there as well. But the thing that I like about the St. Mary's team, and I'm going to buy the St. Mary's team, is you brought it up. They're top 10 defensive team in the country, right? 
And that the, the level of defense that they're at does travel. Kansas, like we said, is a better defensive team. They are an offensive team currently, but they're not as good defensively as St. Mary's. Like St. Mary's is an elite defensive team at this point. And the thing I like about St. Mary's is even though Aiden Mahaney isn't necessarily shooting the ball amazingly, you've got an old point guard with a veteran coach and a team that has gone on the road already and beat their biggest conference rival at home. And then in response to that, blew out the next team they played by 40 plus points and then blew out the next team they played by 20 plus points. So oftentimes with these kind of mid-level teams, I think we see almost an instant regression, right? They pour it all into the Gonzaga game on the road and then have a stinker coming back. These guys haven't had a stinker. Of course, easy to not have a stinker when you're playing uh, the sisters of the poor. And that's kind of where I'm going with my, yep. Right. But I'm going to say this. I know that they've had, so they had some, early season struggles. But if every year that we give folks, I don't know if it's me, but folks give Gonzaga the benefit of the doubt for winning the West coast conference by like not losing a game, then why can't we give St. Mary's a because St. Mary's doesn't have number one, two overall picks, right? I don't know if Gonzaga's gotten number one, but they've they had like, a two overall what, pick. Two? They have NBA players all over the floor, man. Like that's why we, that's why we give Gonzaga so the Kentucky. benefit of the doubt. So does Kentucky, and they suck. Yeah, we so, uh, they get the benefit of that too. I that's why I'm not going to give it to St. Mary's. But and then uh, you brought it up, Gonzaga. Of course, their biggest win is against Kentucky, who's awful defensively, and of course that's why they can't beat St. Mary's because they're awesome defensively. So um, I think I don't think it goes either, either any further than that as a discussion. So I'm going to buy St. Mary's because I think Aiden Mahaney, Randy Bennett, guys who have kind of been there, done that, um, are playing at a high level, and I don't see that changing. And I think they're going to sweep Gonzaga this year. Maybe. I'm. Maybe you're looking uh, for opinions. I'm saying. I'm. I think they're no, going to. I mean. Yeah. Uh, gonna yeah sweep I Gonzaga. disagree. I don't. I think Gonzaga is going to have a bit of pride. But let's go to a team that was formerly in the WCC, BYU. Incredible offense. They're still holding strong in the Big Twelve. I suppose the question is, what are the expectations? Do I think that they're a second weekend team? Maybe. Maybe I do, but they're good, right? So like this is one of those deals where November, December, you say, oh, BYU's kind of playing really well. Uh, I think they may have even cracked the top 10, top 15 for sure, but they are who they are. Like BYU is a good basketball team, and this is going to be a good foundation for Mark Pope moving forward. Uh, they're going to be a tough out because they can score the basketball. John Calipari said it the other day. He's like, you got to be able to score in the NCAA tournament, and BYU can do that. And I think a lot of folks were expecting them to completely fall off or just die in the Big 12. That may have been the case for Cincinnati, but BYU is still holding strong. They're still ranked this deep into the season. Folks, this is who they are. This is their identity. They are a good basketball team. Uh, I apologize to any Cougars fans that had to keep telling folks like, hey, we're a good team. We're a good team. Uh, we're here this deep into the season. I think we have enough of a resume to say that BYU is good. And I'm, 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 Good with calling them good. Yeah, they are good. They've got seven players who average nine or more points. So that goes to your, that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot of players that average that many points per game. Um, they're a top 10 offensive team in the country. And I think that they're the probably perfect example of what a sweet 16 team in college basketball looks like. A team that's going to probably be able to boat race the first team they play because they are so good offensively. They'll play a better team the second time around. And they're good enough offensively to scratch out that win. But then they're going to play a real good team that's good defensively. 
and I think it's all going to come to a halt then. So I'm buying BYU if buying BYU means that they're going to go to the Sweet 16 and nothing else. That's how, That's what my purchase level on BYU is. Virginia. We know about how great their defense is, but they just don't play with any tempo, which isn't a surprise. And the pit game, I, I, I don't know what I witnessed because their defense just went to hell. Pitt, I think, had... Uh, I don't know what the stat was, but like they had five or six players with two plus threes in the game. I mean, Pitt was just draining everything from three. It was really quite an anomaly. And I'm kind of going with, with how I felt with St. Mary's, not for the exact reasoning, but Virginia just came off of a, just got an eight game winning streak snap. They've been playing really good basketball, rising up the rankings of the ACC, but I thought it was a little bit much for people to say they could win the ACC. No, the clear two best teams are Duke and North Carolina. And so for Virginia, I I think that pit game, it rearing its ugly head, brought a lot of people back and doused water on some folks that were kind of frantic and, and going crazy about Virginia. I'm still I, I'm still out on, on Virginia. Yeah, I agree. Do you know what the term dfl means sue uh no what does it mean it's dead fucking last and that's what they are in tempo in the country right now is is last and i know that virginia doesn't play fast and just full disclosure saint mary's isn't that far ahead of them in tempo south carolina isn't that far ahead of them in tempo and houston's not far ahead of them in tempo they're all in like the bottom 20 25 here to go along with that though Virginia ranks 410th nationally in rebounding. There aren't four, even 410 D1 teams, right? So um, those two factors, and they don't have what's made Virginia work in the past is that they have studs on their team, borderline, if not bona fide NBA players to play within this system, which is what makes Houston's system, which is a similar system or similar style of play work. Virginia doesn't have that. And even if you look at like a St. Mary's, why I'm more bullish on St. Mary's is they are a better offense. They're a decent offensive team. They're a great offensive team. They're a decent offensive team. Virginia in years past, they've had efficient offense, but not high scoring offense. They're neither this year. So they're not even efficient mm. in how they, they're 120th in, in offensive efficiency this year. So if you can find, if you're that slow, you have to score more than 50% of your possessions. And what we saw against Pitt is a perfect example of why I don't buy them because they can they can make it through the regular season doing this, but when you're playing balls to the wall in the tournament, you can't be that bad offensively playing at that slow of a pace. So I'm out on Virginia. They dominated Pitt too down low. And I'm not the biggest three-point variance guy. Like the other team shooting a bunch of threes, we got to match that. But that was a clear-cut example of Pitt taking a ton of threes, making them. And Virginia saying, no, let's just keep trying to dominate the paint. Three is better than two. Like, well, <laughs> that's what it right. was. And if you look at, you know, we got everyone got kind of high of them because of this win streak they were on. But if you look at the actual teams they beat, I'll go real quick and listing them. It's Va Tech, Georgia Tech, NC State, Louisville, Notre Dame, Clemson, Miami, Florida State. We're not exactly talking like murderers row here. Some of those teams are okay. Some of them are not. So we're not exactly talking about like the highest level of competition. So I think their record has been elevated because they haven't had to play that North Carolina, that Duke again in conference play. Yeah. 
So we're both out on Virginia. FAU completely out. I don't. I, I'm I'm trying to warn folks: don't fall for the. And I tweeted this earlier before they entered conference play. I tweeted FAU is going to be that team that could lose in the first round, or they'll go to the Elite Eight. Uh, they're not going to the Elite Eight. I'm I'm very confident in saying that they played a bunch of close games in that conference. They've lost a, a few close games. They've won more of them than they've lost, but they've been in overtime the last couple of games. They, they play down to their opponent. I cannot trust this team to go deep. They're not mimicking last year's final four run. I don't know if they get to the second weekend. They've played with fire way too often this season. Uh, they have, they have the same veteran group. They have the team that, that took them there for the most part, Boyd and John L Davis and Vlad golden, dusty may, of course, I don't think they've handled being hunted in conference very well. And I think they've developed terrible habits that are going to bite them in the first weekend of the NCAA tournament completely out on FAU based on what they've shown me, as opposed to what I've seen uh, last year and also their potential out on FAU. Yeah, I agree. I'm out on FAU. They're just too, like you said, too much of a roller coaster ride here. John L. Davis, I mean, is actually having a good year. He's shooting like 50% from the field, which is great for someone with his, uh, you know, volume. But the only only thing I could see is if they make a run is they got to have some really good matchups against some teams that just happen to not be that good defensively. And then John L. Davis has to pretty much score 25 plus or more, um, I think, in those games. So they're going to have to have a combination of like playing. If they could play like a Kansas in the Sweet 16, that might be a sneaky good game because people high be high on Kansas, but um, and they just don't happen to be as good this year. But I'm I'm out on FAU. I just don't see them having the defensive prowess or the consistency level to win two, three games in the tournament, let alone no. four, five, six games in the tournament. So yeah, against this this level of competition. So uh, very last one of the top twenty five, Oklahoma. I, like I don't have much to say. I don't know if you have much to say, but they just don't move me at all. Oklahoma is going to be one half of a game where we're going to look at it in the bracket. And we're going to pick a winner between Oklahoma and whomever. And we're just going to move on with our lives as in we're not probably we're the winner of that game is probably not going to go any further than the second game uh, of the NCAA tournament. They do not move me whatsoever. It reminds me of the Maryland West Virginia game last year in the tournament, which was very good with, I think Maryland winning that game in overtime. But I remember when that matchup came out in the bracket, I was just like, who cares? I do not care because neither of these teams are making any noise. And that's exactly what happened. Maryland lost in the second game. That's kind of how I look at, at Oklahoma as well. Yeah. I mean, currently they're a six seed in bracketology. I am almost sure just look what their schedule is looking like. I think they're still going to make the tournament. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know what I mean? But I could see this being an eight, nine game that they're in, which is the that's exact, what Maryland. I know, West Virginia I, yeah, was, yeah, exactly. Which is literally just us going, I don't know. Coin flip it. Who cares? You know, I, that I have that same exact thought because they still now I will give them one small bit of credit here or not credit, but opportunity. Their three of their four next games are Kansas, Iowa State and Houston with two of them being at home. This is either going to be the you're in the eight, nine game or you're a top five seed. This next three game stretch is going to determine. So I know we use February 14th as the general line here, but they have three very specific, very big games, two of them being at home that are really going to determine their season to me. If they can be, win two of those three games, okay, 
Maybe oh, yeah. Oklahoma is a top six seed. They can avoid some of those. They can avoid the bigger matchups until at least the, the second weekend. If they lose, if they lose two of three, they're in that eight, nine game and it's going to be coin flip to whoever, to who gets blown out by Purdue in the next round, essentially. Yeah. Or you, I mean, I, I, and that's the whole purpose of this segment. I've seen enough of Oklahoma where I'm very confident they're going to lose two of those three. They might go over three and this is coming off of a shellacking. Uh, against Baylor, Florida okay. Atlantic, uh, Oklahoma eight nine game. Give it to me. <laughs> the I'd probably most, go with Oklahoma. I'd go the with the most Oklahoma. entertaining, like worst game. Maybe I don't. It, that game could go so many different directions. So uh, as I'm rooting for FAU Oklahoma eight nine game to for the happen. right to go get smoked by UConn. Just outside of the top twenty five, Taylor. These are some really interesting teams. Let's keep it moving. Uh, Washington State. I know last couple episodes you you weren't very high on them and i i was i still am here on february 14th they're not flukes i think they're tough as shit they don't allow you to go on runs you can't get kill shots against washington state they will always hang around in games and be competitive and i think that is what's going to make them uh a tough out in the ncaa tournament they're not a second weekend team i i doubt that who knows if they're even in right now i think they should be in but washington state uh what they've done this entire season again very good team kyle smith very well could be pac 12 coach of the year kyle smith needs to get a lot more love but of course folks aren't staying up for west coast games washington state is a good basketball team as we sit here on valentine's day and i i really hope that they make the ncaa tournament i think they deserve it more so than a a 10 loss team in a better conference sorry yeah i um I am on Washington State as well. If you look at their losses, they have a bad loss at California, right? There are other losses, Mississippi State, Santa Clara, sneaky, decent, Utah at Utah, at Colorado. That's certainly not a, neither of those losses are bad on the road. Losing to Oregon at the time, not a bad loss. So, And they beat beaten Arizona. They've beaten USC, yeah. who sucks. Uh, but I'm just, too, right? Don't they I'm just saying some of the Boise? teams that were yeah that were previously thought of to be good before the season started. So I'm pro Wazoo, and they do have to play Arizona one more time at Arizona. But other than that, I mean, they get Stanford at home, they get USC at home, UCLA and Washington at home. So their schedule actually sets up really well for them uh, going into the tournament. Uh, Miles Rice is a awesome very good story. basketball player and he's a great story. And so for him to make the tournament, for them to make a tournament, they could quite literally be the darlings of the tournament. If uh, just because of the story um, and people, people like Wazoo like nationally, they, yeah. they, they're not rooting for them, but when they pop up, nobody's anti Wazoo, unless you're a UW person, I think, I don't think anybody hates Wazoo. So I feel like that if they can get into the tournament, which I think they will, I think they can get some momentum and they'll be one of the best uh, uh, stories uh, with rice there. Shout out Jeremy Harden. Great friend of the program. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go back to the Carolinas, man. We've talked Duke. We've talked North Carolina. We talked South Carolina. Let's finish it off. I guess with Clemson uh, for me, I got to believe it till I see it. It's kind of like the Gonzaga thing. They've, they've shut me up. They're going to go to the NCAA tournament. So my stance in January was they stink. They might miss the dance again after starting so well in November and December, but they've rebounded pretty well here in February. And I'm, I'm fairly confident unless the wheels completely fall off for Brad Brownell's club, they will be in the NCAA tournament, which is a nice step forward for Clemson. But from there, how many games they win. Uh, if you told me one and a half games 
uh, for, for Clemson to win, I'd probably take the under there. Uh, I don't see them as, as a second weekend team whatsoever. Maybe they'll win the first game. Um, so I'm just, uh, I'm a little bit higher on Clemson, let's say than I was beginning of the season. Um, and that is only because they've shut me up and, and they've proven that they can actually get string some wins together when it matters, when it counts, which is the January and the February months when, March starts rolling around. So a little higher on Clemson, which is to say they'll make the tournament. Congrats. Uh, I would be even higher on them than that. They have okay. a legit opportunity, I think. And I don't know if you have it pulled up, but tell me if I'm wrong. I think they could go undefeated to end the season in the ACC from here on out. They don't play anybody that, I mean, they, they play, they play Miami as we record this NC state at home at Georgia tech. Florida State at home, Pitt at home, at Notre Dame, Syracuse at home, and at Wake Forest. I could see that they maybe. Oh, I definitely don't Wake. see that. I think you're. I think you're undervaluing folks like Syracuse, Wake, Pitt. I don't see they. They have not done enough to show me that they can handle that business. I, me personally, I disagree. I, I I'm just saying that they're not going to be. They're not going to be more than three to five three point dogs in any of those games. I think they have a real chance at. At, at actually doing that because they've gotten a lot of their tough ACC games out of the way. And they've won a couple of those as well. In, mm-hmm. in terms of they beat North Carolina uh, last week, they already beat Syracuse at Syracuse uh, last week as well. So I I'm pro Clemson. I was also very high on Clemson in the preseason. They dipped for me, but they've kind of come back just as you said. So I'm going to continue what I was thinking in preseason and that, that they are good. And I think that their schedule, and even if they don't go undefeated, that's fine. And I'm, I'm fine with being wrong with that. But they put themselves in a good enough position where they're going to get a good seed in the tournament. They're not going to go four and four in these last eight games, in my opinion, right? I think they're going to do just fine in terms of that. They're currently projecting as a top half seed right now. And I don't think that that ends any worse in like a five or six seed for them. So I could definitely see them with a win or two um, and maybe even, a, no, maybe two. I think they could get to the second weekend, but I don't think they're going to win in, in more than one or two games. Georgia Tech's going to beat them. Already got Duke and Carolina there under their belt. There yeah, why not? Yeah, right. Why not? Sure. sure. Zags. Um, I can't quit them. I, and, and I think I think this has stayed pretty even for me throughout the entire season. Uh, I'm not higher on them pre post-Valentine's Day as I was pre that is to say, I still think they make the NCAA tournament. And the only reason I do think that, Taylor, is because they're going to win the WCC. Like, I, They're not going to get an at-large bid, although that Kentucky game certainly helped. But I think Gonzaga is going to win the WCC and they'll make the NCAA tournament. So everything's been pretty steady uh, as it relates to the Zags. And it really did show me something. I was so shocked that Gonzaga was um, – I, I forget what they were, dogs, but it was like – three and a half or like four, maybe, I don't know. The Kyle Wilcher custody game is I like to call it. And they won outright. I, I, I was expecting Kentucky to demolish them at home, um, but they didn't. And so I still think there's that fight. Like there's that little bit deep down inside of Mark few and the culture that he's built and Anton Watson, who I absolutely love. They've lost to St. Mary's. I totally understand that this may sound illogical, but Anton Watson, in my opinion, is the best player in that conference. And I think he's going to will them. And again, I have to see the Goliath die. Like I have to see the king of the WCC perish before I I make any bold claims. Um, so Gonzaga is going to make the tournament. 
which is the same thing that I've been saying because it let up Ashley Taylor real quick. It let up because I was like, uh, maybe Gonzaga's going to beat St. Mary's in the WCC. That's their only shot. Like, I think that might happen. I'm pretty confident in it because they might, they might lose again in the regular season and we're going to see it for a third time. Zags. I'm steady. I'm out on Gonzaga still. I mean, beat, beating Kentucky by name sounds great. Right. But if I told you that they just beat the 110th ranked defensive team, you'd be like, Oh, what did they play? Just another West coast conference team. Cause that's pretty much where every there's, let me put it to you this way, soup. There are three teams in the West coast conference that are ranked better defensively than Kentucky. So we have to separate. I think that the fact that they beat Kentucky, which don't get me wrong by name and where the it's game one win, right? Well, okay, sure. But it's kind of well, like I mean, when, two, when was the last time St. Mary's had a Q one win. It's kind of like when two bad SEC football teams play each other and one wins and goes, oh, yeah, like, no, they're back. It's like, well, if two not so good teams win, but we just recognize their name, that doesn't mean that they're better than anybody else. And I think that's what this game was. I think this game was a nine and four Auburn playing like an eight and five Mississippi State it got, it, and being like, oh, yeah, look, well, that's a big SEC. It's like, well, yeah, but they're still so far behind the rest of everybody else. So Kentucky's not good defensively by any metric, by any eye yeah, test, anything, right? So, so, and I mean, Kentucky's lost. That was their third loss in a row. Shoot, there was even discussion this last week if Kentucky was going to fall out of the tournament. So, I think if, that's you ridiculous. know. I think sure, that's Sure, yeah, I mean, I guess. But if you look at their last month, it's not like it's been great either. You know, they did just beat Ole Miss, um, which I, is apparently now a good win for them, I, I guess, just given where they're where they're at right now. But I think that we got to separate the fact that Kentucky and Gonzaga, this isn't Anthony Davis playing, you know, uh, Karnowski down low here. I mean, this is a very, very JV version of that game. And so I think neither of those teams are good. I think neither of them are going anywhere. I know we're not even bringing up Kentucky right now, but I'm out. I'm equally out on them because they can't guard me, you, the horror on the street corner, right? Like they can't guard anybody. And Gonzaga just, they don't do anything. Gonzaga's fine, but they don't do anything so elite that it's going to make me feel good about them. And if they're not good, if they're not doing anything on an elite level and they get to play Pepperdine and Pacific and these type of teams every week, and you still aren't cracking like the the metrics that we need you to, to crack to be a good basketball team, then that is very troublesome to me. So I'm out on Gonzaga. Florida in the SEC. I like Florida and I think they're rising right now. And the last couple, like the last month has done a lot for me. I, I've, I've been pretty steadfast and trying to stick with Todd Golden and it's actually been rewarding a little bit here. I think they're on the right side of the bubble. Uh, they're not firmly in the NCAA tournament, but they'd have to really, really mess up to be out. Um, they're solid offensively. Not that great defensively, but they can rebound the hell out of the basketball on the offensive end, Taylor. I think they're getting about 40% of their missed shots. That's huge. That's extra possessions. That's potentially extra fouls. That's easier looks from the free throw line if you're getting fouled. That's layups. I really like how Florida's playing. Now, they almost shit themselves against LSU, which was not great. And they, uh, I know I'm going to look. This is when Kentucky was really good, all right, and they were rolling, but they barely lost to that Kentucky team at home. Mm. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm really not trying to gas up Kentucky, but I like Florida. I actually think they're going to make the NCAA tournament, which 
is a prime example of this cutoff date for me, right? Why we wait two, three weeks ago, a month ago, folks were saying Florida stinks. There, This is going to be another average year under Todd Golden, and the pressure is going to mount up. I think they're going to continue to rise. I think they're st- taking small steps in the right direction, and they will make the NCAA tournament. Um, so I like Florida. Florida, to me, is like inverse Oklahoma. They're like equally as good offensively and defensively and vice versa. And to me, there's just there's nothing. You could take my exact answer from Oklahoma and apply it to Florida. They don't move me at all. I could see them also being just pick a Florida school for that Oklahoma eight, nine game, whether it be FAU or just F here. Right. Like they don't move me at all. I know that a couple episodes ago, I talked about how I haven't really watched a ton of Florida. Of course, that LSU game was not a great example of a game for me to watch to focus on them a little more because you're right. They were 10, 11 point favorites and barely eked that one out. Um, they got two games against Alabama left. Florida does which are going to be really good indicators, I think, to me, uh, of where they stand. Because if they're better than Al- – I'm very pro-Alabama. And so if they're better than Alabama, they beat – even if they beat Alabama one of those two times, I'll be yeah. more bullish on Florida. If they get swept by Alabama, then, yeah, go play in that 8-9 game with Oklahoma or FAU or any of those other teams. But, the, uh, yeah, and that's fair. The point that I'm making, though, is I think a lot of folks prior to uh, mm-hmm. February 14th were saying no. Florida's not going to be in the NCAA tournament. They played sure. their way. I agree. I, I think agree. we both agree they're a tournament team. Um, and that's why you wait, folks. That's why you just take it easy. <laughs> just a few more, Taylor. Michigan State, I'm not giving up on them, damn it. I refuse yeah. to do it. I'm not giving up on Michigan State. The talent is there. I forget which team you referenced for a favorable schedule. I think it was Clemson. Uh, I'm going to pull that with Michigan State. I think they have a favorable schedule the rest of the way. They just beat Illinois uh, a couple games ago. Now, with the exception of at Purdue, I think Michigan State goes to West Lafayette. That is a loss. But the remaining games outside of that, very, very favorable for them. And the Minnesota loss was a bit troubling, although Minnesota's decent. They're they're okay. They're not they're not awful roadkill. Uh, I cannot give up on Michigan State, and I think they're gonna enter the Big Ten tournament very hot and probably rattle off a couple wins in that conference tournament. And we'll see them in the NCAA tournament again. And I don't know if they're a second weekend team, but the fact that we're talking about them, I'm even bringing that up. Uh, I don't know how you want to view it as a Michigan State fan. It's a disappointment potentially, but I think they can win a game or two uh, in in the NCAA tournament. I'm I'm not dead on Michigan just yet, despite how many people have been wanting to write their uh, their eulogy. Well, interestingly, I think if you would have asked a Michigan State fan preseason if they would finish second in the Big Ten, if they would be disappointed, knowing that Purdue was going to win it, you'd probably say no, that probably would fit the expectation. Well, their win with Illinois essentially gives them the opportunity to still finish second because of that schedule in the Big Ten. And that's what's crazy to me is maybe the, the Big Ten maybe hasn't been as good. Well, not maybe not maybe. They haven't been as good as I think we expected this year. But for Michigan State to still potentially finish second in the Big Ten, that gives them an opportunity to roll off, as you said, a few games in their conference tournament. And if they go to the conference tournament finals and play Purdue, win or lose, that's all a guy like Izzo needs to prep his team for the tournament. So I think there's going to be a lot of value in potentially betting on this team as not very well seated in the tournament. But you're like you said, They've got one of the best players in the country. They've got the coach. 
And I think given their schedule, you're going to, they have a pretty light schedule heading into the tournament into the conference tournament. And those conference tournament games, I think are going to be the perfect ramp up to the tournament for them. So I'm going to be, I'm going to buy Michigan state. Now here's the thing with Sparty. Even though, hold on. Even though I've been just shitting on them for four months in a row. You have been. I I have, I have. And yet here we are. God damn it. That's why, that's why you got to just be patient, man. And I've been wrong too. Right. And I'm going to get this next team. I've been wrong on, but um, Michigan state, like, after the loss of JMU, after losing to Arizona, these other teams, everyone just wants to write them off. And I guess the question is, and as a fan, you enter this season with Final Four aspirations. I'm not buying that. Sparty's not going to the Final Four. But to have these discussions about how they suck and they're not going to make the NCAA tournament, they're not they're they're not going to finish in the top half of the Big Ten. It's foolish. It's foolish to discount a guy like Tom Izzo and the talent that they have. Uh, and Michigan's still in the, and I think they just wrapped up a great win against, not great one, excuse me. I just threw that out there. Uh, I think they just wrapped up a win against Penn State, though, uh, last night. Ole Miss, sadly, my agenda is dying a slow and painful death. They've gone from a team that I'm pretty confident, her, I shouldn't say pretty confident, but I was like, I think they can make the NCAA tournament. I said this way back in like May or June. And then when South Carolina was rolling, I said, South Carolina is going to make the NCAA tournament, which was a great take hug for me. But then I said, uh, I think Ole Miss might as well. That is slowly, but surely dying. And it sucks. Uh, Ole Miss's schedule just out of conference, which it didn't, it doesn't move the needle enough to the point where you can be like a couple games below 500 in the sec. And I think they only have what, like five or six wins in the sec, which is still a really big step up. Because I think Ken Palm only projected them at two wins in conference, and they've done a good job. But Ole Miss out. Sorry, I don't think you're making the NCAA tournament. And I was high on you pre Valentine's Day. I got to be a realist. It's over. Yeah, I agree. There's not they're not good enough at anything that they can just hang their hat on something. And you know, I have to bring up St. Mary's again, but even if St. Mary's is struggling, they can at least hang their hat on that. They're very good defensively. Ole Miss isn't good. They're good defensively. They're not good offensively. They're okay. They can't, they, they can't rely on anything specifically to be like, okay, Hey, at least going into this game, we can do this or that. I don't have confidence in any specific part of their game. That's going to put them over the top. They still play a couple ranked teams in the sec on the way out here. I think they also play pretty slowly as well, which doesn't help. You know, if you go back to those Texas, those Texas Texas teams that Chris Beard have didn't, didn't play quickly as well. It's kind of almost like a Virginia situation, just not being good at anything though, is, is that they don't play fast enough to play as bad as they do at times. And so I'm out on Ole Miss as well, but, but I'm not out on this being a successful year for them, no matter how it finishes, you know, right. Great year. Already a great year. Right. Um, unless Chris Beard takes off to Ohio State, <laughs> to Ohio State. Yeah, right. like we had mentioned, or whoever opens up, or please, well, actually, I don't care if he goes to UCLA at this point. I actually, don't give a shit about UCLA. That'd anymore. be fun. So, yeah. yeah oh, true. Be- yeah. No, we're gone. Big Twelve, Big Ten. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Whatever. Uh, I'm gonna lump these last two together before we get to segments. Taylor, Texas and Memphis. I believe Texas and Memphis actually played a tournament game, like in 2009. Uh, Jordan Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could be wrong. I don't know, but. Texas and Memphis, I kind of lumped them in the Oklahoma space. Memphis may not make the tournament, actually. Texas is kind of like Oklahoma. I wanted I wanted to believe in Texas, and I was saying preseason and early in the season 
that they're going to shoot up the rankings. I said that with Bama. Bama shot up the rankings. I thought Texas was going to do the same thing. They came in at 20. They're really just checking in and out at like 24 being unranked. So Texas, unfortunately, you don't move me. I thought the addition of Max Azemus was going to be great. He's been fine. Every, every Everything's just been fine. Texas is going to make the NCAA tournament, but uh, just they'll make it. And I thought I had higher hopes for them. I had, I had much higher hopes for Texas pre-February 14th, but as we sit here today, I can't fool myself any longer. Memphis, I'm s- <laughs> they're not very good. Uh, the metrics don't love them, but their conference is still somehow winnable, Taylor. They went through a rough stretch. You talk about all the teams that went through a regression. Memphis is slowly cobbling the pieces back together, and I'm not yet ready to give up on my prediction that they're going to win the AAC. Uh, I, I don't think I ever had a inclination or a prediction that they were going to do something big in the NCAA tournament, but I think a lot of folks have written Memphis off. I think a lot of folks are saying that they're cooked. I don't think that's true for Penny Hardaway's squad. I think there's still enough season left for them. Um, so I'm going to stick with Memphis, Texas. I'm a bit disappointed in though. I have to say. I think the only participation that Memphis is going to have in the NCAA tournament is that Memphis hosts the first round of the tournament this year. Ooh. That's about the only thing that I have in relation to them making the tournament. Um, they're just not good offensively or defensively. They're they not. Are, yeah. They're not. They're really not. I mean, look back to the previous team we just talked about and how them are their Ole Miss like really can't hang their hat on anything. Like Memphis don't even got a hat to hang like, like like at least at least Ole Miss got the hat they just can't put it anywhere Texas doesn't even have the hat right or Memphis doesn't even have the hat so I'm out on them and Texas is not even the are they the third best team in Texas 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 Tex, better than them Texas better Baylor's better oh excuse me yeah fourth uh, best team in Texas Baylor's they're better, better than Houston. TCU Houston. Houston's better yeah, I mean, but if this is the discussion point, then that's all that you need to know about Texas, right? They're not yeah, even yeah. good as good as Texas Tech, whose coach got fired mid-season, year before last, unceremoniously, right? And I mean, Texas obviously, their, coach, with their coach got fired too. But they, but they hired from within, though. They hired mm-hmm. with, they, they, you know, there there wasn't a huge huge coaching search, whatever. So it's interesting that again, we're talking about Texas and Ohio State. Still not being good at anything, and I still don't. Or yeah, basketball again. That's where we started this episode, and somehow we've bookended it all the way to somehow these schools with the unlimited resources aren't good at this. So I'm out on Texas. They will. They will make the tournament as a very maybe double digit seed. Even um, you know, Big Twelve, very tough conference, of course. Basketball. It'll lighten up. Funny enough, it'll lighten up for Texas next year, moving to the SEC, which is the only conference you, you could say that going you know from big 12 to out um but i'm i'm out on them doing anything they also could play oklahoma actually that'd be great play <laughs> oklahoma that would be actually really cool i don't think you're allowed to have that happen. you're not you're that'd, not yeah but damn it that would they're gonna be in that range though that would be great yeah good whirlwind taylor a lot of yeah. teams uh that that we got through and it actually speaks real quick to texas on the importance of seizing the opportunity. They were up double digits, I think, on Miami with the right to go to the final four. And they kind of blew it. They could have absolutely been there. So and here they are a year later. Same thing with Kansas State. 
you just never know. I mean, I, I know it's, it's such a cliche thing to say, especially given the Super Bowl this last week uh, and, and all that type of stuff. Like, you just never really know when your next opportunity is going to be, right? Mm-hmm. And I, don't, I, I know I bring up Packers and Arizona all the time, and I don't mean to belabor this point, right? But if you would have told me in 2010 with the team and the coach that Arizona had and was putting together and the team and the quarterback that the Packers had at that time, that I wasn't going to see another Final Four or another Super Bowl appearance out of either of those two teams. I'd have told you you were out of your fucking mind, right? Yeah. And I think you probably would have said the same thing. I would have. Hey, right, and so like, that's just a perfect point to say that you really can't miss these opportunities. Texas did that. I'm not sure when they're going to make it back, but you just can't, point being, you just can't miss these opportunities when they're available to you. Yeah. All right, Taylor, we took a week off. Let's get to Damel Dimes. Okay. Last week, you went one and two. Uh, you took Quinnipiac minus eight over St. Peter's. That hit. Oregon minus five and a half against Washington. Did not oh. hit Washington with a furious comeback. Yes, on the road. Uh, they lost and then, five, right? It was five. I think it was five. Yeah. 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 And then Colorado minus 13. That missed as well uh so that puts you at 22 20 and three on the year we're still above 500 what was, that colorado, right. what was that colorado score too that was a close one too i think am i no it was still double digits like i i think colorado ended up winning by 11 or 12. i know so, Let me see. so we were essentially within a point and a half unfortunately colorado won by 12 yeah yeah that's we frustrating that's frustrating but that is sports betting in a nutshell so we're gonna try and get it back here and we're going to start with SMU. SMU goes on the road tomorrow, or today, excuse me, against Tulane. Uh, SMU favored by two and a half. This SMU team is one that I've been monitoring. They can Both these teams can score the basketball pretty well. Um, one team is significantly better defensively and at rebounding, and that's SMU. So we're going to go SMU by two and a half on the road against Tulane, against the Green Wave. Uh, we're gonna go. We're gonna go back to the West here, and we got Weber State playing one of the worst teams in college basketball, and that's Idaho University of Idaho. Not a good basketball team. Not a good athletic program. Not a good anything. Right? Weber State. They're favored by just six and a half against. God, I, I mean, there's not a single, a single like positive thing to say about Idaho. So we're going Weber State, decent basketball team, playing a very bad basketball team in Idaho, and then. We're going to go with a team that really started the year as the darling of college basketball. And I ain't heard shit about them in like two a month, at least. And that's James Madison. They're still one of the mm. highest scoring teams in college basketball, a team that we will for sure have discussions about as we are, I think a month, are we a month away from selection Sunday? Uh, over a month, a little over a month away. It You're, a month and two days away from selection. Days. Okay. I think we'll have a lot of, di- yeah, right. Whatever. Uh, we'll have a lot of discussion about James Madison. I have a feeling here in about a month and two days, I would I would say. So um, I'm taking James Madison by a big margin by 13 and a half on the road at Georgia or at home against Georgia state. They just score the shit out of the basketball. Um, you know, they rebound the basketball. They do a lot of things. Well, We've seen that obviously uh, throughout this year. So I'm going James Madison by 13 and a half. We're going Weber State by six and a half. And we're going SMU by what was that one? Two and a half. Two and a half. Great stuff, Taylor. 
Not so mid. Who are we highlighting this week? I am highlighting a man from High Point University. Okay. Right? Um, let me make sure I pronounce his name right. This is this is live on air. We're going to do it live. Okay. So his name, and I don't want to mispronounce it, is God dang it. My, my, computer, so my, computer, my computer would work here. I apologize to the crowd. Um, Jesus is uh, Keza Giffa. Excuse me. Keza Giffa. Okay. okay. Do you know anything about this guy? Nothing. Enlighten okay. me, please. Well, last week in a win over Gardner Webb, he went one of 15, Sue, from the field. And you might think to yourself, this man played poorly. Well, well, well. Not so fast, my friend, because he did go 13 of 13 from the free throw line. So one of 15 from the field, but 13 for 13 from the free throw line in a win, in a win over Gardner Webb. So we're going to highlight him because in a way he led his team to victory. I've never seen a guy miss 14 shots while leading his team to victory. But there you go. KG, of course. Yeah. (laughs) On the road, too. On the road. (laughs) Can the coach just draw up some place to get him to the free throw line? (laughs) Maybe you'll hit some shots from there. Played 34 minutes off the bench, too, which is even crazier. He played more minutes than all but one of their starters. I don't know enough about High Point to know what their rotation is, but very interesting that a guy on the bench can go one for 15 and in, in a win. So Keza Giffen. That's an awesome one. I'm glad you brought that out. I'm going to go to the great state of Tennessee, okay? i got to highlight Tennessee Tech. They knock off Tennessee State. By 20, they won 70 to 50. Why is that so impressive? Well, Tennessee Tech, uh, they currently have a record of 9 and 17, whereas Tennessee State is 15 and 11, which, by the way, like that that record just does that not seem like a lot of games already? Or have all, other teams played 26 games? I guess Jerome is kind of around the corner, but credit to Tennessee Tech. They had two scorers uh, in the starting lineup, both scoring 19 points. And then they had a man off the bench with 10 dropping 70. Uh, it was a very competitive first half. Tennessee state was up 29 to 27. And then Tennessee tech as they're known to do Taylor. That's a joke. I don't know anything about Tennessee tech, uh, but they just accelerated in the second half, winning at 43 to 21. So I'm assuming that's a rivalry down there in, uh, in Tennessee hat tip to the underdog Tennessee tech team for beating Tennessee state. That's my not so mid lane violation. My friend, what do you got? Have we talked about this ref that got suspended from the a sun? Have you seen this story? I may have heard about it, but I didn't really read it. What happened? So when it happened, obviously <laughs> it's going to be a big surprise. Not a ton of people watching a sun games uh, all the time. So there was kind of a lack of action from the conference, but uh, in a game against Jacksonville and, um, excuse me, Jacksonville and uh, North Alabama, I believe. Um, The ref called Jacksonville's coach the N-word. So so I saw the Jacksonville coach go over to the AD. Yeah, that's what was the reasoning. And the A-Sun actually put out a statement this week that said, the Atlantic Sun Conference is suspended an official involved in an in-game interaction with Jacksonville University head men's basketball coach Jordan Mincy due to conduct not in alignment with the expectations of the A-Sun, which means that, like, it happened. <laughs> yeah, like, it happened, right? So, How is that um, not a bigger deal? Like, a right, bigger story? It was, right, it should be, uh, very much so. So the ref's name, well, let's make it a big deal. 
Yeah. The ref's name is um, Adam James. Adam James. Uh, yeah. Adam, or excuse me, Adam James and uh, Joe Prince were the refs involved here. So, yeah, not an ideal situation uh, using uh, racial yes. uh, derogatory terms uh, in the middle of a basketball game towards a coach or to, well, anyone in general, anyone in general. But uh, yeah, so that's a pretty, I think that's a pretty clear lane violation here. My goodness. Wow. I didn't know that. I can't believe it's not a bigger story. That's insane. Uh, good call out T. My lane violation is actually for schedule makers. It's a day of love. It's a day of happiness. It's a day of joy with your partner, right? So why the hell are we scheduling UConn and DePaul on Valentine's day? This is going to be a bloodbath. It tips off in about 30 minutes. And I had the right mind, Taylor. I was seriously contemplating going down to Wintrust and chaining myself in silent protest to the hoop or the net just to make sure this game wasn't played. I don't know why we're still trotting DePaul out there. I kind of wish ADs, like they got rid of Holtman mid-season mid or abbreviated his season. I'm not asking ADs to get rid of DePaul's players, but I, I kind of want them to just be like, you know what? You don't have to play these games. And for the love of God, do not trot out there against UConn. You still have 30 minutes to say and, uh, you know, to, to preserve yourself. Right? There is no honor in getting slaughtered. And that's exactly what's going to happen uh, to DePaul here in 30. But just devastated uh, that the schedule makers would put such a terrible game, uh, a bloodbath, really, on Valentine's Day. The only other thing, though, I will mention in terms of scheduling uh, and a game that's going on right now is that Detroit is playing IUPUI. Detroit has not won a basketball game this entire season, Taylor. They were favored by five and a half, all right, which might speak volumes of IUPUI. I'm trying to find the score, but last I checked, Detroit is up 14 with 12 minutes to go, trying to get their very first win. So that's not my lane violation. The lane violation is UConn DePaul. Uh, but, man, fingers crossed Detroit can close this out. Dude, thank you for saying that. I'm going to go live bet that they lose right now. No, Ooh, Taylor, <laughs> they're up 14 at 12 timeout. This is so perfect. Hold on. Yeah, as you're not a betting man, so you don't understand the. No. This, this is like. Be <laughs> this is like hearing like the golden goose is down the street, and it's just like you're not going to go see it, you know? So appreciate oh, and that. 26, my boy. All right, let's go ahead, get on out of here and some positivity. Easy layup. What do you got? How about Darian Williams? You know anything about his story this week, Sue? No. Really? What is Come happening on. with him? Come on, man. Darian Williams, the first college basketball player in 15, 14 years to go 30, 11, and 3 on 100, 100, 100 shooting. Perfect from the field, perfect from three, and perfect from the three free throw line. I know you heard about this. I know that this is something that you're aware of for Texas. State. I did, but it all, yes, I, I did, but it it already kind of got replaced by Baylor Shireman's first ever triple double sure. uh, with what points rebounds. And was it assists? It couldn't have been just assists, right? It was something along those lines. Right. Yep. My, my mind, my mind's jumbled, but there've been a lot of firsts uh, so, this season. Essentially the opposite of my not so mid instead of going one of 15 from the field, <laughs> this guy went was perfect, perfect. <laughs> for 31 like points. Oh, very impressive. And tech, Tech's playing incredibly well. Um, all right. My easy layup, Taylor. We're going to go ahead and get on out of here on this. Let me share my screen real quick. But it's Coleman Hawkins' Twitter. Okay. 
I have to highlight Coleman Hawkins' Twitter. He is the KD of 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 like college basketball on Twitter. What I mean by that is he's one of my favorite athletes to follow because he's hilarious and he truly does not give a damn. I think it's so funny. So on your screen right now is a photoshopped image of Patrick Mahomes in a Bears jersey. And Coleman Hawkins says, at Chiefs, you're welcome. Why is that funny? Why is that witty? Why is that subtle? Because after Illinois destroyed Michigan, they asked the media asked Jawan Howard about Terrence Shannon's play. And Jawan Howard was like, yeah, I know all about Terrence Shannon. We recruited him. Now, all that is good and well. A lot of coaches will say that. He said, I'm very happy for him. I'm very proud of him. Very good. Like, we hear that all the time. But then <laughs> Jawan Howard with his, I mean, wry smile, basically says, you're welcome. As in, you're welcome for for getting Terrence Shannon because you recruited him? It makes, I mean, it's so ridiculous. It speaks, it reeks, I should say, speaks and reeks of a man who I don't think cares anymore. They're an eight-win team there at Michigan. Uh, Jawan Howard, I think, knows his time is is slowly but surely ticking, maybe not slowly anymore. But to say... You're welcome to Illinois. I thought that was that was hilarious in its own right because of how absurd it was. But Coleman Hawkins uh, tweeting out a photoshopped image of Patrick Mahomes in a Bears jersey and tagging the Chiefs. Hey, you're welcome with the prayer hands. The guy is so funny. The only other tweet that I want to bring up, Taylor, from Coleman Hawkins, and this actually might have been my favorite, is when a Illinois fan who looks to be an elderly woman Patty Crow Scott at PV Scott 59. She said, I probably should not say this at my age, but Quincy Garrier is so handsome. And Coleman Hawkins replies, no need to apologize, ma'am. Y'all are essentially the same age or y'all are almost the same age. So good. It's so freaking funny. Coleman Hawkins giving us the, the Twitter content that we need. He's also a really good player and a fun player to watch. I like Coleman Hawkins a lot. I think a lot of Big Ten opposing fan bases find him as a villain, uh, but he's such a versatile defender. He's going to play at the next level. But Coleman Hawkins, man, I hope you're able to take your tweeting game to the next level as well. He's my easy layup. I love it. Great episode, Taylor. I know this was a beefy one. I appreciate you spending time here on this Valentine's Day. We're going to go ahead, get on out of here, and actually spend time with our significant others. Our very patient wives, yes. (laughs) And your daughter. We'll catch you next time here on Theater and College Hoops.